you're taking this because of the effect. You're taking this because you want that, you know, that focus. You're taking it because you want a similar feeling to a microdose. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 132 of the Biohacker Babes podcast. I'm Renee tuning in with my sister Lauren today. Hi, Renee. (laughs) What's up? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here today. Yes, we have a guest coming on today. We have Peter Rotano and oh, this was a fun one all about functional mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms, and so much great conversation about how we can grow personally and really become better humans, like through mushrooms. (laughs) In Um, a nutshell. (laughs) In a nutshell. In a nutshell. Yeah. I just, I really loved his energy and he's so passionate about getting this information out there and, you know, making it just making it more of a conversation in today's world and reaching more people and helping people and not just those that are dealing with, you know, more severe conditions, like maybe diagnosed with depression or uh, chronic pain, anxiety, things like that. But just the average person, how we can do this to, like I said before, become better people. I really appreciate his message. Mm-hmm. I think we really let this conversation just kind of meander and and flow maybe to a place we we certainly didn't plan which was really beautiful and exciting and fun. And I think we created some fresh snow tracks, which yes. is an analogy that we'll, we'll introduce you to soon. But yeah, I think it's the conversation that we just need to have more of and a pleasure to be able to speak to someone like Peter that's so passionate and so educated in this space. So he's created a company and a product that is, like Renee said, helping us to become better humans. We know that I think psychedelic medicines are really putting a lot of focus on that healing of the larger traumas, addiction, PTSD, but it's important to know that they are really helpful for just everyday creativity, productivity, getting into flow, kind of getting out of our own way. And we can access that not just with psychedelics, but also with functional mushrooms. So that's essentially what they did. This company, uh, the product is called Mojo. The company is Guella Mushrooms, but they reverse engineered the effects of psilocybin back into this functional mushroom product, which is essentially herbs and roots. There's a little bit of caffeine in there so that you can really kind of drop in and be this better human to make better choices to whatever it is you want in your day, like just have a better day get a little bit more work done, feel more creative. It's like, I think I just read some review and it already exited my brain, but it was something like you can make just a little bit more magic every day. Like who doesn't want to make more magic? (laughs) Sounds like a Disney tagline, but yeah, sounds good to me. I like it. (laughs) More magic in our day. Yeah. And it's just, it's going to uplift your mood, increase ease. So I think there's just so much to dig into and lots more conversations like this, hopefully to be had, but Peter is just a wealth of information. So we're going to teach you all about Guella 
and Mojo. And we encourage you to check out the product. It is currently a gummy and a very delicious flavor and apparently more flavors to come. Yes. It tastes too good. (laughs) (laughs) Renee, one at a time. I I have not eaten a whole bag. I promise. No. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. All right. So Peter Ritano is an award-winning entrepreneur and CEO of Guella, a brand house and life sciences company on a mission to make psychedelics more accessible and help people use them safely and effectively. He's an active participant and early mover in emerging and highly regulated industries, including both cannabis and psychedelics. Stemming from his early personal experiences with entheogens, He's become a passionate advocate for cognitive liberty and the right of every human to experiment with their own consciousness. They recently launched Mojo in the USA, an innovative patent-pending product that mimics the benefits of microdosing in a completely legal platform. Peter is also a regular speaker at conferences and industry panels around the world. He has been invited to speak at Google, Facebook, Porsche, University of Toronto, Johnson & Johnson, and many more. These are just to name a few. And now we were lucky enough to have him on our podcast. And Peter truly is a biohacker. He's been biohacking since I guess he was 16, it sounds like. So we can't (laughs) wait to share his story and all his amazing wisdom with you all today. Great. Let's welcome him on. Welcome, Peter, to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We're so happy to have you today. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. It's great to connect with more friends in the space. So happy to hear that you're good friends with Robbie Bent, Small World. And we had <laughs> Robbie on not too long ago talking about some some fun topics as well, but we're excited to have you on. Awesome. Um, you know, over the last year, we have been introducing our listeners to the potential benefits of microdosing with mushrooms. And, you know, we've been really longtime advocates and consumers of more functional mushrooms. So things like the mushroom coffees, the chocolates, the nutritional powders, et cetera, things like that. But we know medicinal mushrooms are still technically illegal in most states, unfortunately. And though decrim is happening pretty rapidly in some U.S. City, cities and uh, now in Oregon, which is really exciting, we, we think it's an amazing time and opportunity to educate on the power of the mycelial network. And we're so happy that you're on a, this mission to do so. So to kick us off, can you just tell us why you are so passionate about this space? Sure. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a few threads to pull on, like the, you know, functional mushrooms. I've been growing them for, uh, seven or eight years. Um, so kind of amateur, uh, mycologist, you know, in my back garden, I started out with sawdust blocks that were inoculated. Um, and then I progressed on to like getting my own logs and inoculating them. So I've always been kind of interested in, uh, growing them. I was first introduced to them because I was I've always been interested in biohacky type natural um, supplementation. I've got like, you know, my kitchen cabinets probably got 30 or 40 that I, that I take on a daily. My parents think I'm insane um, (laughs) when I show them, but you know, I've always been interested in that kind of stuff and mushrooms just, I can't remember where I first discovered them, but I read about chaga and uh, chaga mushrooms being this you know, incredibly powerful substance, chock-a-block full of antioxidants. And I really wanted to explore what they could do. So I started buying chaga. At the time, it was you know blocks of chaga um, that I would kind of do the extraction on. But that got me really interested in mushrooms on the functional side. But the psychedelic mushrooms, you know, that's been with me since I was 16, growing up in the UK. Magic mushrooms were legal to buy in stores for a period of time, so we could we could go into our local 
what was essentially a head shop. Our local one was called Salamanders. And you could buy a, you know, a pack of mushrooms. It was a, really like a hero's dose. And we would go out into the woods with my friends, you know, take these big doses, trip for eight or nine hours, had the most wonderful, but also occasionally terrifying experiences. And since then just became an avid psychonaut and really interested in the power of hallucinogens and psychedelics. So I I used to use this site called Erowid a lot, which is essentially a, a you know a database of drug experiences. So I'd research what people were taking, what with. Um, I would buy them online, um, and then and then experiment. So I've been obsessed with like the the transformational potential of psychedelics since since sixteen. Um, really interested in the functional mushroom wellness potential for you know for the last ten years. And so when when I had the opportunity to create a company around it, I I jumped at the chance. Wow. That's pretty wild that you could buy a hero's journey in a store. It's so yeah. crazy. So now as an adult looking back, I guess, what would you tell your adult self as a teenager about these mushrooms? Like, uh, I guess, what did you learn that was really powerful or maybe what would you do different now as an adult? Obviously probably not a lot of set and setting as a teenager, <laughs> <laughs> but, but less trauma. I'm yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we were completely unprepared. I mean, we got into them because, you know, 15, 16, we started getting interested in rock music and psychedelia and Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. We encountered, you know, cannabis, all of this, all of that cannabis was actually illegal in, in the UK, still is. But um, we we got into it through this kind of, oh, you know, our rock heroes did this kind of stuff. We should We should definitely try it. And kind of thinking about it in the same way as we thought, you know, about cannabis, which is a relatively mild experience. And it just, you know, blew our 16-year-old minds um, when we first tried them, completely unprepared. So if I was going back in time, yeah, set and setting, maybe don't invite all of your friends, some of which you're not so fond of, make sure you're surrounded by people, (laughs) maybe make sure, you know, that you have somebody sitting there that acts as a guide that stayed sober, you know, think about your diet beforehand, all of that kind of stuff. Think about, you know, how you're going to exit the experience and integrate the stuff that you've, that you've thought about. I mean, I remember, you know, one of the early trips leaving the forest where we always used to go that was, was near our village and then just, you know, walking back into the parents' house, still slightly kind of in this fragile tripping state and having to kind of deal with the glare of parents and that kind of stuff. And all of that circumstantial ways of planning your trips and making sure that you're, you you know, you're, you're prepared and integrating was completely devoid in my early experiences. So, you know, it's one of the reasons or one of the really core missions of, of Guella is how do we provide the tools and content and products to enable people to use these substances more safely, effectively, and intentionally outside of just the medicalized system, but a little bit more responsibly than just, you know, rolling the dice with your buddies in the forest. Hmm. So you mentioned the medical system. My understanding is most of the research is being done on like PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, sexual trauma. Oh, addiction. Okay. So what, what is the goal with Guella? Like, what are you trying to help people more so with if it's not, you know, chronic health issues? Yeah. So I, I'm very happy and excited about all of that research going on. I mean, these tools in the West did start as therapeutic tools, Tim Leary, Ram Dass, you know, were Harvard psychologists, 
Shulgin, who invented MDMA and invented it as a therapeutic tool. I mean, they did come out of that tradition. And so, you know, Western medicine has kind of picked up that baton and continued that research in that vein. And I think, you know, Western society also has this, you know, mode of thought, this kind of puritanical way of thinking that drugs should fix rather than create. We're much more comfortable with fixing disorders rather than kind of elevating. Um, And so, you know, when I thought about the type of company that I wanted to create and the mission, I really wanted to recontextualize and reaffirm these substances as things that we could use to improve our lives, to take you from zero to plus six, rather than just minus six to zero. Um, I think the minus six to zero is very important and also really important from a a regulation standpoint, you know, it's the thin end of the wedge in terms of what regulators are going to do. They see the use and then you sneak in a medical exemption and eventually you kind of chip away to the point where you can use it for more and more reasons. But, you know, I wanted Guella to really focus on that zero to plus six, self-personal growth, consciousness raising, having these kind of profound experiences, you know, improving your relationship with your your friends and your your family, all of that type of stuff, creativity, I really wanted to to, to, to enable usage and remind people that that's what it's used for, you know, because when you think about historical usage, it's not like in the, you know, the Amazon rainforest, if you had a, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know, a cluster headache, they'd be like, you know, let's crack out the ayahuasca or at Eleusis in, in ancient Greece. They didn't, you didn't come to it with a, you know, a disorder to fix. It was really kind of, you know, spiritual, mystical raising of the self, you know, all of that type of stuff. And so that's what I really wanted to focus on. Again, not saying that any of that other stuff isn't important. Of course it is. We're going to get a lot of treatments that mitigate a lot of suffering, but it's important to remember that these substances can be used for for personal growth, for the betterment of the well, and also that we have the right to use them for that stuff. I'm a big believer in cognitive liberty that, you know, we should be able to experiment with our own consciousness without infringement from the state. It's my right to be able to take these plant-based substances or even non-plant-based substances and experiment as long as I'm doing nobody else any harm. So that's really Gwella's core focus, improving access, recontextualizing them as tools to create and encouraging this idea of cognitive liberty. I love that. If we can destroy our brains with alcohol, (laughs) why shouldn't we have access to these other things? I'm curious, what's the significance of six? Plus six? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I saw, I I remember listening to a podcast. I wish I could remember what it was. I think it might've been a Sam Harris uh, podcast and he was talking about positive psychology and it was the first time I really encountered it and the person he was interviewing was was talking about the fact that you know for the longest time therapists and psychologists and psychotherapists have studied sick people and then applied those rules to society and in the 80s and 90s they started to you know think about it in a different way maybe we should be studying healthy people and apply it to society and he was talking a lot about, you know, we've got a lot of tools that can uh, help people who are on the minus six to zero spectrum. We don't really have a lot of tools talking about elevation and improvement and what he's what he called the the zero to the plus six. So I, it always stuck in my mind. I just love that kind of way of framing it. Like 
sick to health, health to better. Um, and, you know, at the time with all of that positive psychology, we didn't really, people weren't really talking about flow states and things like that. And so all of that has since come out of it. Very cool. I have to say, this is really resonating with me because I've been doing ketamine therapy with uh, a company called Mindbloom. And I didn't qualify for ketamine therapy at a local clinic here in Vegas because you needed an official diagnosis of anxiety or depression, and you had to show that you were resistant to two or more prescription drugs. And I don't qualify for that. I have a little bit of anxiety. It's not like crippling, but I was also wanting to explore the ketamine therapy for all those things that you just said, just to be a better person, to be a better wife, a better friend, a better sister, a better podcaster. I don't know, just raising consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so I've been focusing a lot more on that, but you know, you kind of have to jump through some hurdles at this time to be able to do it in that way. So that's exciting that you're trying to grow that mission um, to help more people have access to it. Totally. And yeah, I mean, it's, it gets to a point, I mean, in cannabis, we saw that too. And certainly in Canada, where it was just a bit of a farce, you kind of had to go to a doctor, pretend, you know, they would wink at you, you would wink at them. Yeah, yeah, I've got a sleep <laughs> problem or anxiety. And they would, you know, give you the prescription. And it was that, that was the only way you got cannabis, but everybody knew it was, you know, a lot of people were using it recreationally. And I just don't think that's how we should structure this particular substance or these experiences. Um, I know kind of why it happens that way, but we, we also don't want pharmaceutical companies gatekeeping these substances. We, you know, we, we want decentralized access. We don't want, uh, simply, you know, you have to go to this expensive clinic and buy this expensive variation of this synthetic version of this drug. We want people to be able to access, you know, for natural substances outside of that system through whatever modality they want. Some people want to go to do ayahuasca in Peru. Some people will feel more comfortable, you know, sitting down with friends and taking MDMA. Some people will want to go to a chic Soho house style clinic in Brooklyn and spend $7,000. And all of that is, is fine, but we don't just want the $7,000 medicalized option available to people. Yeah, I think it's a huge concern in this space. And as we get closer to like all these clinical studies being completed, I think it's going to be really important to try to keep it private. Like USONA maps those institutions that are trying to keep it away from like healthcare patents. Yeah. And and also what the latter comment that you made about, you know, it, it being very expensive. And I think the stereotype is which is true is that it's like a white man's privilege to have access to these drugs when there's so many medicinal benefits and, and we need to make sure that one, that we use them in reverence to their indigenous traditions, but also that people that really need them have access to them. Completely. Yeah, completely. We want, we want open access. We want multidisciplinary access and we want, you know, we don't, we don't just want a few companies to control this. The patent question, you know, you bring up is an interesting one as well. I mean, patents can be valuable um, for for innovation. You know, the argument, protect your IP, uh, makes the investment worthwhile, so long as the invention is, you know, novel um, and useful. But what we've been seeing is, you know, a lot of these inventions aren't novel and aren't particularly useful. You know, uh, there's, there's probably the biggest company in this space has tried to patent sitting on a couch uh, and taking a psychedelics, listening to music, having a lamp on, just absurd things. And that's what USONA has been battling against. People have been trying to patent 
um, extraction methods that were developed, you know, a long time ago in the 50s and 60s. And to be honest, you know, we definitely do want new psychedelic drugs and variations. And there's going to, there is going to be a lot of interesting things that come out of these new pharmaceutical developments. But what we really want in the short term is just access to the existing psychedelic spectrum. You know, all of the focus on these kind of big companies are, you know, producing what they call next generation psychedelic drugs, which you know, like I said, could be really interesting, but it's also a way to justify investment and, you know, raising capital and all of that type of stuff, which is fine. But in terms of improving humanity and improving health and all of that type of stuff, what we really want is the access to the existing spectrum that we've got of natural and synthetic um, psychedelic substances. I mean, we've got a lot of tools out there. It's just that they're not accessible to most people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we're definitely going to see a huge growth over the next year or two or three, but I'm curious. So Mojo, which you call the first, the world's first legal mushroom microdose. So that seems to be a good option that we can be doing right now while we're waiting for all of these blocks to be moved. So can you share with us like what went into that? Like, how did you decide ingredients and tell us? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea came up with, Daniel, our, our chief science officer, that we wanted to try and create a, a, a product that mimics some of the effects of taking a low dose of psilocybin. So we we did a lot of research into why people are taking these micro or low doses of psilocybin, what the effects are, things like mood, elevation, mood modulation, cognitive enhancement, energy, focus, flow state, things like that. Well, like, how can we replicate those effects um, with a product that doesn't use anything that's currently illegal? Now, Daniel had already got a V1 of this product. He, he, he wanted to create a study aid at university that allowed him to get off Adderall. Um, and so the very early, you know, 10-year-old iteration of Mojo was created by Daniel at school as a, as a study aid instead of using Adderall, which is very effective, but has these kind of toxic downsides to them with long-term use. So he brought that formula into Weller and we spent two years iterating on it. Uh, you know, to start with the V1 tasted disgusting, was like taking, you know, a triple espresso injected into your eyeball. I mean, it was really, really <laughs> strong. Um, and so we spent the year, we've probably given it out to 5,000 people. We've you know done a bunch of research. We've dialed in the effects. Um, we've added some new ingredients to it, bioactives, and we've we've made it taste nice. I mean, it really didn't taste nice to start with. It's kind of hard when you're, a lot of those bioactives like mushrooms don't taste that great. They're quite bitter. So the formula now is, uh, 14 different bioactives, four of which are mushrooms, one of which is a, a very strong, uh, the most potent form of uh, cordyceps synesis called CS4, a very strong concentrate that's pure, that isn't bitter. Most of them are bitter. And then we have um, some kind of plant-based stimulants in there, uh, some mood modulators in there, some nootropics. So essentially what you get is this you know, clear, calm, focused energy that allows you to you know, concentrate or work on a particular task or, you know, work out, or, you know, if you, if you want to do, you know, breathing um, exercise or something like that, it, it's kind of like we, it's not Red Bull. It's not, 
you know, that hero moment, you know, hyper feeling. It's very much more of a calm flow state style, uh, nootropic kind of feeling. Mm. So we launched it to the public in, in October and it, yes, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just had amazing traction so far. We're really, we're really proud of it. Like it's, we wanted to create products that were useful, interesting, different. You know, we wanted to use functional mushrooms, but do them in a different way. We didn't want to make a, another coffee and tea. You know, I think those are great products, but there's a ton of them out there. And so we wanted to, how can we repackage these things, make them a bit more convenient, a bit more interesting and go use case forward. So, you know, instead of taking this because you think mushrooms are healthy for you, which they are, you're taking this because of the effect. You're taking this because you want that, you know, that focus. You're taking it because you want a similar feeling to a microdose. So we've got one flavor right now. We're coming out with two more flavors uh, next month. And I did um, vote. I did vote on your new flavors. Oh, did you? <laughs> good. Yeah, they good. all sounded well, good, but I voted on my top I missed two. the survey. <laughs> Check your email. <laughs> I love the current flavor. I'm holding it. If anyone's watching the video. Amazing. It's the wild strawberry and zesty tangerine. It is really delicious. <laughs> it is yummy. Amazing. Good yeah. to hear. So I guess um, I love to talk about maybe best practices and and ways to, even though it's not a psychedelic and we're not going to have ego dissolution, there's probably some best practices as far as creating the proper environment and, and proper dosing. I guess yeah. to start this conversation, who is this really for? Like, what is the intention and what kind of person or personality or activities should, would kind of like pack this environment? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I think generally anybody that wants to, you know, improve their day-to-day productivity, kind of, you know, improve their, their mood, um, which, you know, as, as somebody that does marketing, it's kind of, that's a kind of a non-answer because, you know, if your product's for everybody, it's, it's for nobody type of thing. So we, you know, I think, I think there's definitely groups of people that, you know, have shown a lot more interest in the, in the product, uh, kind of the, you know, entrepreneur, techie developers, we've got a big response from like the yoga type community. We thought to start with the esports uh, community would be really into it because it's a healthier alternative to, you know, the health drinks that they all drink. But our research kind of came up that, you know, they really didn't care about the sugar. They just wanted the the hit of monster energy or whatever it is. So we, we have a bit of that kind of community, but it's, it's definitely people that care about what they, what they're putting in their body, the kind of biohacker type community, people that care about natural health, but want a little bit more of that edge, you know, mindful kind of productivity, um, people that want to do more in their day or elevate whatever they're doing. So if it's like working out, playing tennis, playing guitar, whatever it is, um, I know that was a, a very broad answer. Everybody, it's for everybody. Everybody should buy the product. <laughs> if you have a pulse, if you have yeah, a pulse. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think in response to, you know, if it's for everyone, it's for no one. I think with adaptogenic like ingredients and things that modulate our system, it's a way to personalize, you know, with the same dose, everyone can take it, but you're going to have a different experience based on the environment and the mindset it's coming into. Right. Yeah. So have you seen like vastly different experiences with this? There's definitely people? a spectrum. There's, there's, I would say 85% of people, it really hits on the nose exactly where we think it should be the effect, the dose of, you know, one gummy. Then there's a probably about, you know, 10% of people that it's a little bit much. And so we recommend half a gummy for that. I take half a gummy a day. 
Um, and that's perfect for me. I'm quite sensitive to some of the ingredients in there. So about half a gummy a day for me. And then there's about 5% of people that it doesn't have much of an impact. They're very tolerant to some of the ingredients. And so we either recommend taking two or me. three, yeah, <laughs> two yeah. or three, or we're making a, uh, what we're calling a Mojo Max, um, which is going to have about five times the bioactives in there. So to start with, Ooh. with people that have high tolerance, we recommend taking two or three, see if that dials it in. If not, we'll, we'll have a, a Mojo Max version in a, in a couple of months. Oh, yeah. Like that'll, be for, that. that'll be for us. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It, it's, uh, you know, like I said, for me, I mean, I have my morning ex- espresso at about 7am and then I wait for about three hours, then I'll drop half a mojo. And that's, that's basically it for my kind of focus, nootropic stimulants throughout the day. I don't have another coffee. I don't get any jitters or crash. I mean, that's really what we were trying to get to is like, how do we create a supplement that gave people the up without the down. So we, we tried to modulate any stimulants we had with the, the mood modulators, the calming kind of uh, nootropics in there. Hmm. Yeah. I, I tried mine with my morning coffee. So maybe I need to experiment. I like, I like what you do. You wait three hours and then do mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Maybe that would be a better way to do it for me. Yeah. Well, okay. and I think for myself, it's worth, ex- I need to go on like coffee detox for a week and kind of clear my system. I don't know yeah. if I gave it a fair shot because my body's very used to mushrooms is very used to caffeine. So yeah, I, I like it in again. combination. I, I know there's a lot of, there's other companies out there that kind of you know, talk about anti-coffee type, you know, get off coffee. I, I think that's probably a losing battle. Um, I personally love the ritual of coffee. I love the effect. I love the taste. So I like it in addition to that. That's kind of one yeah. of the reasons why I didn't want to create a mushroom coffee either is I, I don't know. I like the purity of just a a coffee, like a, just a a pure espresso coffee. I like the Mm -hmm. effect. I like the taste. And I'll, I'll take my mushrooms in other ways. Yeah, I agree. What's up biohackers. Happy new year. We wanted to interrupt today's show to tell you about a next level wellness drink that we've been sipping on this past year. It's available in a quick and easy shot or in a powdered stick that easily mixes in water. The powder is my personal favorite, and that's what I'm sipping on at the moment. But either way, it's simple and easy when you're on the go. And let's face it, we're on the go a lot, and our bodies need extra support against all of the daily stressors like work, exercise, partying, you name it. And this is where Coast comes in because it helps flush out toxins, replenish lost nutrients, and repair our cells. Yeah, it is so awesome that it combines so many cutting edge ingredients into one drink, like an NAD plus precursor, antioxidants, vitamins, and amino acids. We love drinking it a few times a week, either post-workout or to prepare or recover from drinking alcohol. In a nutshell, it helps flesh out the bad stuff and put more of the good stuff back in. Plus, there's no sugar, no artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. Yeah. And it's actually the first advanced wellness shot created by a cancer researcher using real science designed to keep you healthy and feeling great. So we love it so much. And if you're curious and you want to check it out, go over to coastdrink.com and we'll put that link in the show notes for today's episode and you can learn more about it and make sure you use code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 15%. Do you find you need to be pretty consistent with it? Is it like one every day or a half every day, or you can just kind of take it whatever days you feel like you need it? 
So we recommend a cycle kind of like with microdosing. So okay. max kind of five days on and then at least at least two days off. So, but you could just, you know, if you're going to work out, you could just take it and then and take, not take it the next day. It's more of a tolerance thing than um, a, a repeated thing. Albeit, I would say, you know, some of the functional mushrooms in there are obviously built to or are better with sustained use. Um, so, you know, lion's mane regularly, cordyceps regularly do have these kind of compounding long-term effects on your, your cognitive abilities. Hmm. Okay. Great. So is that more, do you see more with the functional mushrooms that the consistency? So like yeah. you mentioned, so lion's mane, is it the same with like chaga, cordyceps, reishi? Yeah, I think, I think really any, any adaptogens is like, you know, long sustained use typically, you know, you, you build up that. Uh, you build up your body tolerance. So, you know, you want to be, you want to be having that sustained use almost like a a, a supplement, but you know, Mm. there's obviously other things in there that are short-term acting as well. So if you just wanted the the focus, you know, you could take it for that, for that day. Um, But if you want those compounding effects, then you do want to be taking lion's mane and things like that regularly. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. Yeah. So I love in, the marketing of Mojo, you you say that you've reverse engineered the effects of psychedelics. So getting what you get from a medicinal mushroom without obviously going there. Yeah. I'm curious, what are you seeing? Can you speak to like the biological or chemical changes that are happening? Have you studied like neurotransmitters or maybe you can speak to like default mode network? Like what are we experiencing here? Yeah. So Mojo replicates the low dose or the micro dose. So if you took 10 Mojos, you wouldn't trip that it's not, we didn't reverse engineer psilocybin in a kind of macro dose. We really wanted to replicate those low dose effects and results, which all hinge around, you know, mood, focus, cognition, things like that. Um, So there is no, you know, mechanism of action. If you took 10, you would all of a sudden, you know, see God, in the same way that if you took DMT. Um, so it's really replicating those low dose effects. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. Seeing God. That, <laughs> you just saying that, that reminds me, I, I think I've said it probably on this podcast before, but the, the meme about how humans discovered mushrooms and they're like, oh, this one tastes like steak. Uh, this one killed Brian and this one made me see God for a week. Yeah. <laughs> I do always wonder like who, who took so how we learn. <laughs> yeah. The, the right. one that really gets me is um, ayahuasca because they've got, you know, they've got the bioactive and then they mix it with the enzyme inhibitor. If you just eat the bioactive, you get, you know, your body would break it down and, and that's it. There is no DMT. You need to combine it with the enzyme inhibitor. But this, like mm. the amount of experimentation they must have gone through or conversations with plants or whatever it is to get to that combination of enzyme inhibitor and bioactive is is incredible. Yeah. I mean, we're biohackers. We'll experiment, but I'm glad someone else yeah. figured that one out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone else did the labor. You can that. do that for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you done ayahuasca? I have not. No, I okay. haven't. My, my experiences have been psilocybin, MDMA, LSD, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff. I never smoked DMT and I've never done ayahuasca. It's very high on my list. It hasn't really, I had my first, um, first child uh, early last year. So I've kind of been focusing in on that and didn't have much chance for Amazon recreation and COVID as well, kind of stopped all of my, you know, as did it for everybody kind of traveling and doing that kind of thing. So 
when I, when I, when we get out of this and I've got a bit more mental space, it's definitely high on my list. I want to try ayahuasca and I want to do a Vipassana retreat. Those are my two big things on the list. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both sound amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I know. I'm still considering every year. I'm like next year, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Next yeah, year. I, think I just, one of my biggest things that I struggle with is my interactions with technology and devices. And I think, you know, we all kind of experience that to a greater or lesser extent, but I think I'm addicted to my phone in, in many ways and business doesn't help, but then I, I'm not going to pretend that it's just business hustling. I mean, I'm, I doom scroll as much as the next person. And so I, I've been told many times that Vipassana will, will help me expedite getting, getting off that kind of crack, crack kind of phone <laughs> behavior that, that I have. Yeah. We yeah, all have addiction. Mm. Oh yeah. We're all guilty. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to Costa Rica next week for a five day retreat with, are you familiar with third wave? Yes. Yeah. So I'm in their coaching certification. We're going to Costa Rica and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to check my email. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, just, you just need to detach sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to be around. Yeah, no, we need it. We need it. No. Did you yeah. see Aubrey Marcus's talk about his darkness retreat? He did a video podcast about it. No, it's pretty fascinating. Just kind of silly things about his relationship with brushing his teeth <laughs> like in just, the dark. Yeah. Just like the things that we take for granted. It's like, oh, you see the toothbrushes right there and pick it up. I I, I can't recreate the conversation, but it was, it was fascinating. Sort of this things you wouldn't expect to learn in the dark. Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, yeah. I did dining in the dark, which... I mean, that's a two hour experience, nothing like a seven day retreat, but even just that, just eating your meal in pitch darkness, it's kind of wild. Um, I mean, all your other senses come to life much more. Yeah. 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 I can't wait for you. I'm I want to do it as well, but I can't wait to hear if you do it. Um, Peter, you mentioned something earlier that is sticking with me, you, you talked about creating sort of in a, in a life self-growth manner, like creating the life that we live. I, I'm reading this book called The Path of Least Resistance. Are you familiar? No. I haven't read it. It talks about our, our conditioning as children and how, you know, we're not really conditioned to play and experiment and question. Everything is, we have to do this right. If we don't do it right, we're going to get in trouble. And so we're kind of stuck on this path And it's hard to make changes because unless we change the structure, the pathway, we don't actually get to experience something different, right? Like you're Mm -hmm. on a a path through the woods and unless you're brave enough to kind of go off the path. Yeah. So I'm just curious if that analogy resonates with you and with the use of either microdosing or functional mushrooms, this idea of creating and how can we make new choices or create a new experience for ourselves? Yeah, I, I read a quote by Mendel Kalen uh, the other day that I don't know whether you you know him, but he's uh, mm-hmm. he's one of the co-founders of a, a startup called Wave Paths. That's probably my favorite company in the psychedelic space. Essentially, they create music for psychedelic experience, but also as psychedelic experiences. So, how can music you know influence you during the trip, but also be be a trip by itself? I mean, he was part of the early. Imperial College studies on on psilocybin, and one of the one of the things he noticed was the environment, music of which was a part, was almost more important to the results than the psilocybin itself, the drug itself, what you wrap around it. 
But anyway, he had this really nice analogy. He talked about the brain as a snow-covered hill and, you know, you go down it on a sledge um, you, and you kind of think one way. And then because you've gone down that track, you get that groove in the snow and then you go down again and then you kind of just always stick to that, that track. Mm-hmm. Psilocybin and psychedelics, it's essentially, you know, it doesn't force you to do anything else, but it's like having a fresh snowfall. And so you, you can kind of create those tracks anew. And that's what people talk about when it comes to the default mode network. Um, you know, we, we're kind of stuck in these, these, these frameworks and, and modes of thinking and psychedelics kind of allows us to, to knock ourselves out. There isn't actually a lot of great science around default mode network. I've seen a lot of debate around it um, from the scientific community. So at the moment, it's somewhat speculation, but certainly seems to be true that you know it'll, psychedelics allow us to think a little bit differently. And provided we then integrate that, we can take those uh, altered states and turn them into altered state, uh, altered traits. So we can kind of groove them into uh, our behavior patterns and create new ways of thinking. And that's it's one of the reasons why MDMA is so powerful in therapy. I mean, it's, it's a drug that allows you to feel enormous amounts of empathy and love. It allows you in a therapeutic standpoint to talk about trauma, think about trauma, revisit trauma, but not actually feel the trauma, which is the really what you want in therapy. You want to be able to address something and revisit it without feeling that devastating pain again. And so with MDMA, you can, you can be there, you can address it in a kind of detached, empathetic manner, and then you know, integrate those new learnings and those new ways of thinking into your day-to-day life. Yeah, I think the heart openers are a really powerful part of this equation. Mm-hmm. I have heard that fresh snow tracks analogy before. I'm so glad you brought that up. That really, really resonates with me. Right. Just being able to do something different because I think that's yeah. so prevalent in our culture, especially through the pandemic with all of the fear and anxiety, which has just strengthened default mode network. We're just like walking into the wall. We're like hitting our head against <laughs> the same wall because it's really hard to to not feel fear, and fear keeps us in the same patterning. Totally. Yeah, I, I I think as well. Like we, aside from you know psychedelic uses, there's just ways of injecting randomness into your day that's that's healthy. And we kind of what we think we want complete stability and knowing kind of the destination, but what we actually get off on and where we're our best is where we're dealing with a little bit of uncertainty and challenge. So we're kind of on one side, we're constantly trying to get that security and that stability, but you know, where we operate at our best state isn't, isn't like that, you know, and we kind of, when we, when we get that stability and we get that certainty, we fall into those patterns of behavior and we turn on you know, what you could call the default default mode network, but it's like the autonomous side of yourself. And so making sure that you've, you know, got a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of randomness, whether it's taking a different path every day or whatever it is, I think is, is good for the mind and and good for the soul. Yeah. Surrender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, and actually the, the snowfall analogy I'd heard too, from my therapist with ketamine. So oh. um, we're all hearing it everywhere. Um, <laughs> cool. But, but that, that really stuck with me too, because in my sessions, like I'll think about maybe some past trauma or something that triggers anxiety or stress. I'll think about it, but with the ketamine, I can reframe how I'm looking at that 
And then I do journaling after, and I try and like focus on that for the next seven days. But my question for you is, do you have any recommendations for integration, like journaling or any other tips so that people can keep going down that new path or whatever? Yeah, I I, I do a lot of like pre-work and post work now. And I, like I said at the start, I mean, to start with, I just didn't do any of that stuff. Also when, you know, if somebody, I don't know, five, six years ago would have said, set, set an intention to me, the kind of a crawl would have gone up the back of my neck. I always thought that was kind of like the cheesy stuff, this kind of like weird hippie drum circle type stuff. And I kind of had a resistance to it, but I think that's a me thing, not a, a thing thing. I think that's just like weird psychological hang up. But for me now, you know, there's a lot of prep work that goes into those experiences. I mean, setting intentions for sure, getting, you know, your mind right, what you want out of it, getting in the right frame of mind. I also really try to eat a little bit better before the experience, kind of cleanse the body. I try not to get caught up with my phone. Like I really try and detox mentally, uh, physically, and then, you know, sit down and, and, and think, get myself in the right frame of mind. And then afterwards, journaling is definitely my my main tool. So, you know, as soon as it's you know, the, the experience is over, I'll, I'll, you know, start writing, I'll start thinking about what happened, you know, what I think I learned, anything I struggled with. And then, you know, sitting on that for at least a few weeks afterwards, just kind of rethinking it really helps. And the way I, I try and I try and plot out and plan as well. I mean, the site that I mentioned, Erowid, the experiences on there, the way that they're written up is really, really great. They have, you know, I took this at this time with these other substances, and then they have this kind of narrative um, of what happened. And so I really try and do that like beforehand. Okay, I'm going to take this. I'm going to do this. I'm trying to really like think about what I'm doing. And then afterwards, frame that narrative, write everything down and then, and then sit with it. You know, and I'm fortunate I don't struggle with, I mean, I have the same amount of baggage as the next person. You know, of course there's small amounts of anxiety and things like that, but I I don't suffer from serious mental disorders or trauma. So I'm not trying to address anything like that. For me, it's really, what are my annoying little habits? Where am I, where am I being not very nice to people? Where am I not being, you know, patient with people? How can I improve on, on the day to day? Um, So that's really what I'm trying to address. Mm, Yeah. Awesome. Very, very similar to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just the little, little nuances. Yeah. I yeah. can be a dick. So I'm trying to not be <laughs> as much of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> so That's can we goal. all. <laughs> we all have our moments. Daily inspiration. Today yeah. I will be less of. <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm curious just to expound on that a little bit further, maybe like a high level experience. What have you integrated or maybe changed about your lifestyle as a result of your experiences with either functional or medicinal mushrooms? I mean, I go back to one of my, the one that stands out. I mean, I obviously have, you know, lots of, lots of different experiences, but I had a really clear one that I didn't set the intention for, but I did integrate it because I had to was an early, um, psilocybin trip when I was probably, um, 17 or so. And the trip was uh, quite negative um, throughout it, really painful experience uh, or painful sensations. And the overriding experience or kind of visions were all about me bullying people. And I don't think I was like a, a terrible bully, but one particular thing stood out to me, which was, you know, I 
felt myself bullying myself, if you could see what I mean. So it's one, mm. it's one thing to kind of intellectually know, you know, you should probably treat people a little bit differently. But during this experience, I kind of felt my own dickishness behavior. And I could be quite, you know, cocky and, and not the best sometimes to people. And so I just, I got a taste of that and it genuinely made me a kind of nicer person um, over the next, you know, in the next chapter of my life. And I'm sure, you know, my sister would say bullshit, you're still an asshole kind of thing, but I genuinely feel um, <laughs> like after that experience, I, I thought about how I treated people a lot more. I, I thought about the negative sides of my my personality and that's you know stuck with me ever since so you know I I joke about trying not to be a dick I mean that's genuinely I'm trying to be a more empathetic compassionate human with these later experiences as well Mm, that's really beautiful it really acts as a mirror I think that's Mm -hmm. you get out of your own way so that you can show up in a better way for other people and you've done that with Guella and Mojo so it's really really amazing and incredibly painful at the time. I mean, those negative bad trips can be like bad trips because you, you maybe shouldn't be taking psychedelics or, you know, you're doing it in the wrong context or whatever it is, but bad trips can also be, you know, for the most part, pretty critical learning experiences. I think now I've kind of had a few, there's, there's a reason why you're reacting or there's a reason why there's friction. And so leaning into that, accepting it is how you can a get through that experience, um, you know, return to the breath, kind of you know, go with it. But you know, taking you know, thinking about why it's a negative experience, what are you thinking about, and integrating that is is crucial. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yep. I want to keep talking about this. I've definitely been through something similar. Yep. Yeah, leaning into uh, it, I think, is so important. I want to respect your time. Can I ask one more question, Renee? Oh. Yeah, go for it. Wrap up. It feels like the most important thing around this topic right now is just reframing the narrative about how people feel towards psychedelics and mushrooms specifically. Do you have sort of like an elevator pitch or maybe just a a short statement on how we can encourage people to reframe Mm -hmm. or just relearn about these substances? The general pushback I get is, I mean, for people that are disconnected from, you know, the conversations, it's wasn't that what the hippies did? Didn't people jump out of windows? You know, that kind of 60s psychedelia, isn't this addictive? Isn't uh, dangerous? You could screw up your mind, all of that type of stuff. And so I really just, you know, I lean on what what should be obvious now with the the science. I mean, Professor David Nutt in the UK had this great chart looking at drugs and their relative toxicity. And Mm. certainly mushrooms and psilocybin are right at the bottom. I mean, there's, you know, very limited toxic uh, elements, very little uh, physical downside. And the risk to kind of mental issues is is very, very small. So the risk profile for mushrooms is tiny. And you know what's at the top? It's alcohol, Mm -hmm. nicotine, and then, you know, heroin, methamphetamine, things like that. So the fact that certain drugs are illegal, and certain drugs are legal has nothing to do with their safety. And that's what I always have to tell people it, you know, um, it's so important to engage with that point. You know, it's, it's not that the state is actively looking after your health. There's a reason 
why psychedelics were made illegal in the 60s and 70s. And it was nothing to do with health and wellness. It was just simply to do with cultural shifts. They were too close to the anti-war movement and the hippies and Nixon didn't like that vibe and they nixed it. And same with, you know, same with cannabis. It's nothing to do with a health argument. It was everything to do with the political economic argument. So re reconnecting and rethinking about, you know, what drugs uh, should be legal, shouldn't be legal um, is, is, is really important. It's also important to think about, I think, kind of the, the change in psychedelia, I, you know, 60s, 70s psychedelia, very cool. There's a whole cultural phenomenon there. But uh, I think people get kind of too caught up in, isn't that, you know, the Grateful Dead type of stuff or whatever it is. But there's, you know, hardcore science going on on what these substances can do. And we know so much about them. We have so much data. There's, you know, the research started in you know, properly in the 50s. Of course, we've been using these substances for as long as humanity has been around. But, you know, research in the West has been going on since the 50s, 60s. We've got great data. It was picked up in the 90s. We know so much about what they can do. There's still a lot to explore, but we know about their safety profile. We know there's limited toxic downside. We know they're not addictive. And we know that when people take them, it can help with a variety of different, you know, ailments and, and self and personal improvement. I can't remember the stat, but it's something like, you know, four out of five people that took them in a study said it was one of the most profound experiences of their life. I mean, this is, these are substances that can help with some of the biggest existential questions in our lives. I think we're all suffering from a certain lack of meaning in life, just, you know, the way society's kind of set up, we don't really have religion anymore as a structure for meaning. And we kick that away for valid reasons. And so we're kind of left in this, you know, existential crisis. And so I'm not saying psychedelics can completely fill that void, but we all want more meaning. We all want profundity and there's a variety of ways to do it, but psychedelics are such a powerful mechanism for that. And it can really soothe the soul. And also I think they just you know, I don't want to be utopian, but I think if, you know, our, our political leaders had, you know, a series of five psychedelic experiences, they would be different in office. And I just think that it's just incredibly important substances. And then also, you know, another big existential crisis we're suffering from there, you know, treating the environment and uh, badly and kind of climate change. And it's been shown that psychedelics uh, create this feeling of biophilia, connectedness with your surroundings, your sentient beings, and the environment. So, you know, it's a sh it, again, it's not a panacea, but these are shortcuts. These are ways that we can allow people to think differently, give them some sense of kind of meaning and awe, and you know, create some connectivity and, and empathy with you know your fellow humans, your animals or the the environment around us so there's just so little downside i think you know from the toxicity but also so much upside so and you know there's cultural baggage but we're seeing that dissipate every week now we're seeing an, another celebrity talk about their experience you know will smith did his eight ayahuasca sessions whatever it is we're seeing kind of more and more and more we're seeing goop do series on it um so i think we're seeing cultural normalization and acceptance we're seeing regulatory liberalization, you know, certainly across the US, we're seeing some incredibly exciting moves. So I think, you know, the next few years are just going to be a really amazing time for, for this movement. That I, is fantastic. 
Yeah. That all, all of the above. That's a beautiful message. Yeah. I think, I mean, I definitely noticed I feel more connected to the earth and then everything you said about meaning. I mean, you know, I grew up Catholic. I don't go to church anymore. So I'm always looking for like that next way of finding my purpose and meaning in life. And I think I feel that connection through plant medicine. So thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. And I yeah. will say uh, one other thing. I think the three of us are definitely like in this world. We're seeing it everywhere. Everyone we are friends with is talking about it and it seems so normal. And I'll post on social media all the time, like this study on MDMA and this study on psilocybin, great research being done. And just a week or two ago, my husband was like, are you worried that posting that stuff, people are going to think you're a druggie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't, I, that didn't even cross my mind. Uh, mine either. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but that's a good point. I think some people still see it as like you said, this, the 50 or the sixties phenomenon that happened, but yeah. with all the work you're doing and the mission be- behind Guala and Mojo, I think we're going to see some amazing things in the next couple of years. So thank you. So, yeah. Too. And I just wanted to tack on, I, I love that image from Professor David Nutt. I have it saved on my desktop and it still blows my mind every time I look at it. So we're going to put it in the show notes because I think that's pretty powerful to be like, whoa, yeah. I'm alcohol consuming is... alcohol all the time. Totally. Yeah. So totally. It's, it's yeah. the uh, the substance that's most consumed as, you know, a recreational drug, but it's, it's terrible for you. And it is what it is. Toxic. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it feels toxic. No one can argue that. Of course. I mean, you, yeah. when you have a hangover, no one's like, yes, this has been a, you know. <laughs> this has been a great experience. A great. Yeah. This is absolutely <laughs> worthwhile. <laughs> so no one ever. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Peter, before we let you run, we want to ask one final question. If you can give our audience a final piece of advice or takeaway, something they can start doing right away to optimize their health and wellness. Um, you know, the thing that I've got really addicted to recently is, um, cold exposure. Um, so, and now we've got seven feet of snow outside that I've got, you know, access to, um, but I, I just, yeah, (laughs) yeah, um, you know, I do a lot of hot and cold and it's, you know, it's really game changing for me. I've always been into saunas, but I never really fully lent into, it was more of like, oh, this is, feels, feels really nice. Cause it, it is nice just sitting in a hot room, but the cold piece is where you get the, you know, the growth and the challenge. And it's a, it's the cold exposure. I mean, it has all of the, the things that it does um, for your, for your physical body that I'm sure Robbie talked about when he was on the podcast, sitting in a cold tub for two minutes is great for you on a physical level, but also, you know, I just, I find it just such a great thing to do to build mental uh, courage. You know, like if you can do one really not very pleasant and challenging, but help, you know, it's good for you thing a day. It's just such a good habit to get into. Of course, cold showering is not nice. Nobody's, you know, out there, you know, loving this thing, but you can train your body and your mind. And it's just such a good thing for your character. I think there's a, um, there's a really good line in Lawrence of Arabia where he's, uh, lighting a match, um, and then, and then putting it out with his fingers and somebody comes in and says, gosh, doesn't that, doesn't that hurt? And he says, you know, of course it hurts, but you know, the trick is not to mind that it hurts. And that's, you know, it's, it's just, you know, of course, jumping in snow is is not pleasant, but if you can get to the point where you don't mind that it's cold and embrace that, that's that's a really powerful mental model to have. Yeah, that mental resilience. Mm-hmm. Amen. Awesome. Yep. Lauren Love loves, loves so her much. cold too. <laughs> there too. 
So Peter, we want to send people to all of your resources. Where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, so you can find um, Gwella at guellamushrooms.com. Um, you can find Mojo at mojo.shop. Um, if anyone wants to try the product, you can use the code WELCOME20 for, for 20% off. And then the social network I'm personally most active on is uh, probably Twitter. So you can find me there. Uh, my handle is DigiDharma. Or you can just type in my name, Peter Atano. Amazing. Great. We'll link cool. to all those in the show notes. And thank you for the discount code. Thank of course. You for that. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Peter. We really appreciate you spending your time with us today and can't wait to connect more in the future. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then... Happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.